herbalism can be traced down through mostly <laughs> all of the cultures worldwide uh, have had some form of healing with plants. And we've relied on plants for food, fiber, and medicine since the first humans walked the earth. So I would consider herbalism to be a very special and necessary part throughout history. Welcome to Tangled Taproot, where we explore the unique stories of small-scale farmers in the Midwest. I'm Jackson. I'm Kristen. And I'm John Cowan. And this is a production of Milk and Hummus. What is Milk and Hummus? Yeah, what is it? We make lattes that focus on locally sourced ingredients, sustainable packaging, and the humble chickpea. In this episode, we talk with Crystal Stevens, herbalist, educator, author, and farmer of Flourish Farmstead. Yeah, so many things. Multi-talented, multi-hat type of lady we're talking about here today. Yeah, it seemed like the more we asked what she did, like the deeper it went into. It's like, oh, yes, we are. We got our hands in baking. We got our hands in, in growing. We got our hands in herbalism. We got our hands in everything. Don't and, forget about art. That's right. That's <laughs> like, right. We've got like, yeah, woodblock yeah, prints and craftsmanship. I mean, that family is loaded with talents. Which is just super cool. Yeah, and she mentioned they started a mushroom grove, too, yes. on their property, which is really neat. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, if you think about, like, farmers that we've talked to in the past, I mean, they, they've got, like, 25 acres minimum. And you're doing the most that you can with that. Yeah, and using all dimensions of it. So For sure. something like where the mushroom grove probably is is not a place that's, like, flat, where you could easily grow anything or set up a bed to put in compost and all the good stuff to make happy, healthy herbs while they're utilizing that part of the forest in their land to maximize that space. Yeah. And it's, you know, mushrooms on logs. Like, great, like smart thinking there, right? Using all all heights, layers, dimensions, wet parts, dry parts, flooding parts, not flooding parts. When you think about herbs, you're thinking about both the culinary usage, but yeah. also... You mean like mint parsley, and, uh, parsley, sage, all, rosemary, all and the- thyme. That? Right. Yeah. You're thinking that you're thinking, hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let me season my uh, my food. Let me season right. that with some with some Italian seasoning. Yeah, let's get some oregano up in this hummus. Bam. Absolutely. Bam. But they talk about herbalism. I mean, they talk about herbalism as like a a way of food as medicine. Mm, beautiful. Herb- herbalism is the oldest form of medicine on the planet. Jeez. can be traced back into so many cultures, folks. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, Tinct- for tinctures. sure. Yes, let's talk yeah. tinctures. Tinctures. Tinctures and soaps. soaps. Oh, my. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> tinctures, teas, and soaps. Oh, my. No, but yeah, no. I mean, it, it is literally yes, like the oldest form medicine. of medicine on the entire planet. And you've got this farm, and their main focus is... Just doing things that are helpful to people and people's bodies and whatever types of healing or assistance they need. You know, everybody's body is different. Like some people have dry skin. People have a dry throat. You know, there's certain throats that are certain herbs that can like lubricate your throat muscle. Like if you're a singer, like there's all these really interesting properties that people have discovered over time. And she's so gifted as far as being able to talk to people and maybe being able to discern what somebody might need and just the ability to maybe provide something that could yeah. improve someone's wellness. 
you get a better sense of what someone needs when it comes to herbalism, when it comes to, like, the plants that would help them if you've been in it for this long. She seems grounded and just a wealth of knowledge. And I wouldn't tell this to people, but I don't really like the way elderberries taste, but I'm not a huge berry person, but I know they're good for me, so I do still try to ingest things with elderberry for my wellness. We talked about elderberry a lot in this episode, even. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) They're, I know. She's got like a whole army of elderberry yeah, every plants. Year she like brings over in even hundred, more. <laughs> over a hundred, over a hundred, like marching soldiers of elderberries. Oh my so, goodness. You just I just confess that blasphemy. But I have purchased elderberry from her and I do use it. And I'm sure that's how I stayed so healthy this winter. I'm sure, yeah. And one of the one of the topics you mentioned was the herbarium sparkling herbal yes. tea. It's in a can. It's amazing. So botanical. There's a uh, at least Three flavors I know of right now. There's the elderberry, echinacea, the ginger, roselle. Roselle, yeah. So and uh, lavender, lemongrass, which, which sounds very, very good, especially when it gets warm. And if you listen to this podcast, I think you'll get to hear about the spring one that she's concocting right now with oh, some yeah, freshly budded yeah. flowers. Yeah. Yum. And that's a that's a collab with the brewery in Alton, Illinois. The uh, Old Bakery, Old Bakery Brewing, right. which is one of the very few organic certified breweries around the St. Louis area. Oh, the wow. only one that we know of, but it's still 40 minutes north. But yeah. Give me that. quite remarkable. Give it all to me. Right? <laughs> For sure. And and they even mentioned the they mentioned the three rivers. Yeah, yeah. They're what all pals it? over there. So is it was, it was dynamite. Uh, Mississippi River, the Illinois River, and there's one more. The Miss- that- Missouri. The Missouri River. Yeah, that is the trifecta. That is the confluence. That's the confluence. That's what makes this soil here in the Midwest and and, and everything. It makes it so special. That's why you've got like this flux of farmers. High-density farming area, for sure. One fun thing that I learned from the interview, I did not realize that ginseng was so special. It's endangered almost. Yeah, and there's all these special you know, exclusive, like, plant rare breed clubs that have these rare seeds that are nearly nearly endangered or are endangered. And I did not know that ginseng was so highly sought after. You know, yeah, me either. I feel like I want to add ginseng to my my own personal... Routine. My own personal routine, my own personal, like, like plantings. Well, see, it's it's the American ginseng variety. And what's... I mean, I, I knew that it took a long time to to grow and produce, I think, yeah. years. I think that's why, it's, that's why it's endangered almost. It's because it takes so long to, like, actually produce something from it. Uh, that's definitely probably a, a factor for sure. I think it takes upwards of, of seven, five Ooh. to seven years to get, yeah. to get something good going. Yeah, and then, um, really remarkable. And yeah, anything that's good that has medicinal value, you know, yeah, let's uh, let's let's sell it <laughs> for sure. And so there's a high demand, and then um, yeah, over just like any anything that's over uh, harvested becomes uh, problematic. So it is on the list in in the U.S. A American ginseng variety is uh, do your part, folks. Yeah. yeah, plant your American ginseng. Let's get more of this going. My name is Crystal Stevens, and I'm the co-owner of Flourish Farmstead with my husband, Eric Stevens, and our two little ones. Well, they're big ones now, uh, 11 and 18, and we have four goats, 
few cats and a dog. <laughs> We've had chickens and ducks in the past, and we hope to reincorporate that into the farmstead. But we are 10 acres of diversified vegetable farm historically, and now we're branching into more into medicinal herbs. So we're still going to have a big heritage garden for our family to feed our family and to put up food for the winter. But our farm has been transitioning for the last several years to do more agritourism. So farm stays, Airbnb, um, we do a lot of education. So we run Flourish Folk School, which is kind of the overarching education program. We cover herbalism, gardening, and foraging classes. And then we do a lot of work with the United Plant Savers as a botanical sanctuary. So we are growing a lot of at-risk perennials and medicinal herbs. And then we've incorporated a mushroom grove. So we grow a lot of perennials, mostly medicinals, perennial fruits, herbs, culinary herbs, and flowers. Lovely. Yeah, that is quite the spectrum of things. I mean, we knew that coming into this interview. It's like, this lady juggles a lot of things. She wears many hats and grows many things. It's kind of like, where do we start? Well, I mean, one thing is like, so why the, why the Midwest? Why uh, this area? Well, I'm actually from Colorado. I can say that because I was born there. But my parents were originally from the St. Louis region before they got, or right after they got married, but before they had my sister and I, they moved out to Colorado. And then our family spent time in California. And then we traveled back in a giant yellow school bus with plants hanging in the windows. And there was multiple lizards that just, you know, living in California, there's lizards everywhere. And so <laughs> we brought back several houseplants and <laughs> lizards were in those houseplants. We painted the bus before we left. And uh, when my great grandmother became aging and ill, my mother decided to move back to the Midwest. So we hightailed it from California in a big yellow school bus and made our way to St. Louis. And that's where I spent my middle school and high school years. And when my husband and I started dating, we turned our St. Louis City yard into a farm and started selling at the Tower Grove Farmer's Market back in 2008. And I was making herbal products and, you know, it, all things botanical. And he was doing a lot of art. And we also had, you know, veggies for sale. So in... 2010, Eric landed a job at La Vista CSA. So we spent seven years there as the farmers um, running a 250-member CSA farm just right up the road here. And we kind of fell in love with this community and the land out here right by the Mississippi River, the major life vein of the earth, one of them. And so we started looking for places here and found this particular plot of land and decided to rent it. And then finally, uh, last year, we purchased it. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry, that was the long version. <laughs> no, we like the long version. That's right. Was uh, this home here on the property? Yes. The 10 acres? So it was um, a nice home with 10 acres and several outbuildings and it was perfect. And we rented for five years and actually planted fruit trees the first year we were here hoping that we would someday be able to buy it. And oh. each year the landlord kept saying, no, 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 we're not selling. It's staying in the family. And then last year she called and said, hey, we're actually going to sell. So you have first right if you would like it. And we were able to get a farm service agency loan and go ahead and do that. So it felt really good to finally have, you know, our own farm My and goodness. be the caretakers. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize, uh, yeah, that you 
just kind of have a very recent acquisition that's very celebratory. I'm, I'm <laughs> sure you. that feels like quite the milestone. To yes, get to. long good. time coming. <laughs> yes. Tell us a little bit about um, some of the botanicals and herbs and things that you're growing on the property, like what you're maybe focusing on, especially as you've kind of geared more towards your flourish herbal schools and things that you're doing. Sure. Um, About three years ago, I took 150 stem cuttings from our mother elderberry plants. We started with three elderberry plants that I received from River Hills Harvest. My good friend, Terry Durham, who is Elderberry Terry, and he (sighs) teaches people how to use and grow elderberries. And I actually work part-time for this company now. And started with three plants, three mother plants, and was able to take the stem cuttings. And so we have 150 elderberries out back. And each year I'll take more cuttings and we were able to take about 40 and put them in the front this year. So we're going to keep adding more elderberries. So it's the Sambucus canadensis that's used for medicinal preparations. So I make a lot of preparations with elderberries and they're in a new flavor of the herbarium sparkling water. So mostly growing them for or sparkling tea, mostly growing them for the herbarium, but also my herbal products. That's elderberry is one of my favorites. And then I grow, you know, mullen and St. John's wort and echinacea and lemon balm and yarrow and all of these amazing medicinal herbs and then make herbal preparations from them. And as I keep expanding, you know, the growing of these Right now I have about 20 or so of each plant and this year I hope to expand that, double that expansion, except for the elderberry. We'll keep adding slowly since we already have so many, but the medicinals I just absolutely love. I've been studying herbalism since 97 and all of my jobs as an adult have kind of interrelated into that field and I'm just very grateful. <laughs> so for those who are not familiar with herbalism, can you just share the, the basics? Sure. So herbalism is studying the branch of healing that's related to plants that have active constituents for healing properties. So for instance, if someone gets flaky dry skin, there's emollient herbs, which can help soothe and coat those areas. Herbalism can be traced down through mostly <laughs> all of the cultures worldwide uh, have had some form of healing with plants. And we've relied on plants for food, fiber, and medicine since the first humans walked the earth. So I would consider herbalism to be a very special and necessary part throughout history. My relationship came about when my father was diagnosed with end-stage lung cancer in 2000, though I had been actively studying herbal medicine since 97, I was able to use some of this information that I had learned through various channels to help my father when he was ill. So in 2000, he was diagnosed with end-stage lung cancer. The doctors gave him six months to live, and he was a Vietnam veteran, a chain smoker, a carpenter exposed to a number of, you know, asbestos and he gutted houses essentially. So the odds were against him. And we had seen other family members and friends of the family kind of deteriorate pretty quickly with chemo and radiation. So we talked my dad out of doing chemo and radiation and some of the family members suggested acupuncturist. So he saw an acupuncturist who also was well-versed in Chinese herbal medicine and he was able to give him medicinal mushrooms and all kinds of herbal remedies and I started flipping through the yellow pages and 
applied to every health food store within a 30-mile radius and got a call back instantly from Wild Oats and became the juice bar clerk on the spot that day. And so I was able to bring him 24 ounces of fresh-pressed juice with wheatgrass and spirulina and beets and carrots and garlic and, you know, all all of the good things, and then also get a 20% discount on organic produce. They were one of the only places that had organic produce, and I had been reading all about you know, healing the body naturally and organic foods. We, our household switched to organic and I was able to get the discount on supplements. So we just threw all the things at him. And with a combination of all of those modalities, he was able to live an additional five years without chemo and radiation with only natural. So that kind of sculpted my life path and really put all of my faith into herbal medicine. And I, did everything I could to stay on that path and became an organic farmer, went to massage school, went to herb school, you know, and then eventually started my own herb school. So I really feel a connection with herbalism. I think food is medicine and food when used as medicine can really heal the body. Unfortunately, it spread to his liver. And at that point, it it was too far to, to help with herbal medicine. So he passed away in 2005. But I dedicated my life to growing uh, medicinal herbs and making herbal preparations for people who are in need of some good old-fashioned healing. Thank you for sharing. It's quite the journey. Yeah, thank you for that story. You've really had so many dimensions of input and learning in your lifetime. Would you be able to like pinpoint a thing or two that you feel like were really maybe most formative as far as where you were absorbing and gaining the most education or learning as far as growing things organically and or herbalism? Like where, what were your biggest sources of personal growth? Sure. I would say ambition played a crucial role, just the ambition to, you know, help my dad. When I Actually, I took this really epic journey when I was right out of high school with my friend Colleen, and she is also an herbalist and a gardener, and we just have similar life paths. Right out of high school, we took off for the whole summer and went to every national park out west. So we bought a national parks pass, and we each had our own little pop-up tent, our little REI clearance gear, and we took off in my little hatchback wagon and uh, hit the road. And that was really amazing to have that experience. We, we both saved several paychecks. And of course, we were both living at home. So it was easy to do that. It's not as easy these days with the cost of everything. But we took off and Colleen actually had this herb school she wanted to check out in Lake Oswego, Oregon, which was at the time called Australasian College of Herbal Studies, and now it's ACHS, which is American College of Healthcare Sciences. So we saw that school, took a tour. She fell in love with it. I fell in love with it. She ended up moving out to uh, New Mexico with her partner that I introduced her to, (laughs) Jamie and Colleen, and they went to, to Silver City, New Mexico. And Colleen ended up not going to that school, but I ended up doing the distance program there. So I was able to eventually have that experience. And it just was so life-changing to be in herb school while my dad was 
he, I kind of started right before he passed. So it was uh, just an eye-opening experience. And so I would say that that road trip really made me realize how much I loved plants and herbs and wanted to make a difference. And then the growing aspect, Eric, my, my husband, had apprenticed with a farmer at Riverbottom Farm, Dave Whitman, and that was his farmer mentor. And he, that's how he learned everything about farming. And then when Eric and I started dating, he taught me how to farm. I had been gardening with my mom, growing iris flowers and growing, you know, some perennials and had done a little bit of work with her. She taught me how to cook and garden. And now she has a really beautiful garden in the city. But Eric is the one who I learned farming from. And we just kind of fell in love with it. And I am grateful to be able to take a break from vegetable farming at the moment (laughs) because it is a lot. How long uh, did you two grow vegetables like together? Because I know, I think you mentioned Eric is using space at another farm. Is that yeah. correct? Um, so Eric is the farm manager at Rustic Roots Sanctuary in Spanish Lake. And then last year we were farming some of our, a lot of our vegetables at Dave Whitman's place, the farming mentor. But this year I'm focusing more on our farm here with agritourism, education, and growing medicinal herbs. Eric and I have been. I mean, we're still growing vegetables here, but again, it's a big heritage garden for our family. So we've been growing vegetables together since 2007. How did you meet your husband? (laughs) We both worked at health food stores. Okay. So he worked at Natural Way in St. Louis, and I worked at Wild Oats in Ladue. And he would come in and get the groceries that Natural Way didn't carry. So he would come in with his cloth bags and his beautiful smile. And at that point, we were just friends. He was married, actually. And so we we just had a a cordial friendship. I would just smile and give him a juice sample. And then we ended up running into each other around town and just decided we both had long-term goals of having a farm, having kids, a family, animals, and the rest is history. (laughs) Yeah, that's beautiful. And you both uh, seem to have quite an artistic skill set also and an artistic vision, which evident kind of when we came in, it's very idyllic uh, pathway into your homestead. (laughs) And, you know, even though it is winter, like you can just tell it's a lovely, whimsical place and your home is beautiful. Um, Tell us about your your artistic bloomings. Sure. Uh, Eric went to Fontbonne for fine arts. So he has a, a, a bachelor's in fine arts from Fontbonne University, and he did graphic design for a long time. He specialized in woodblock woodblock prints. So he's a woodcut artist. He's had several shows throughout the last couple decades and really talented woodworker. He does a lot with reclaimed wood, a lot with uh, fallen trees, driftwood. He works in any medium beautifully and is very passionate about creating things that look very whimsical and artistic. And you can see with the beds that uh, we create. He does a lot of, makes it look really aesthetic and artistic and rustic. It's very pleasing. And then um, my dad was an artist. So, and so was my grandfather and so was my great aunt. So I just kind of grew up around art and drawing and creating. And I fell in love with all mediums, really. I love watercolor and botanical illustration. We've, Eric and I have painted murals together and painted on the sides of buses and all kinds of stuff. And the most exciting art project 
that we're collaborating on is happening this summer in Ohio. And we got selected as our, our, our whole family. So Eric, the kids, and I got selected as artisan residents for the United Plant Savers Botanical Sanctuary, their headquarters. We're going to paint a giant mural on their headquarters wall on the outside. So we are so excited for that. It's a yeah. huge deal for us. And you said it's in Ohio? Yeah. So that's exciting. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. I've um, enjoyed some of... Are you... You're the photographer? Yes. Also? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So you've done some... You've captured nature and some of your photos and painting, and you've been able to kind of bring that to some regional markets, which has been neat. If you'd like to speak a little bit about where Flourish or where you and Eric have plugged in for routes and ways that you are peddling your wares and goods, we'd love to hear about some of the markets and people you connect with. Thank you. So Yesterday, I set up uh, an apothecary at the Old Bakery Beer Company in Alton, Illinois. So it's the new home for the Flourish Apothecary, which is amazing. I'm very grateful to Lauren and James for our friendship and for supporting us throughout the years and just being genuine, amazing people. If you haven't checked out the Old Bakery Beer Company, it has delicious food and amazing organic beer. It's certified organic beer, too, which is very unique. Yeah, not Rare. many around there. Yes. Uh, they have some really delicious flavors of beer. And then we have three flavors of the sparkling herbal tea, herbarium sparkling herbal tea. So that's a partnership between Old Bakery Beer Company and Flourish Farm. We grow the herbs and I do the uh, can illustrations. And then Lauren Rogalski does the can design and Lauren and James brew with our ingredients. And Lauren does the marketing and it's just a, a cool collaboration. So Old Bakery Beer. This weekend, I also set up an apothecary, a pop-up apothecary at Max Local Eats Market. And now they have a little apothecary stand. And then City Greens in the Grove has a, an apothecary shelf there with Flourish products. And then here in town, Ruby Rin Eclectic Boutique has some of our goods. And Three Rivers Community Farm will have some of our Flourish Apothecary items and several other places in the works. but <laughs> And then we'll set up at Tower Grove Farmer's Market this year, not in our normal spot. We were last year across from Urban Buds Flower Farm. This year we'll be doing mostly botanical beverages. And so we'll be over by probably closer to the big building and have our apothecary set up with herbal products, fresh herbs, dried herbs, bulk herbs, artwork, and botanical beverages. So each week I'll be making mocktails and serving canned herbarium and all kinds of fun stuff. Could you tell a little bit more about herbarium? I mean, I've seen it around town. It looks fantastic. And uh, how many different, yeah, refreshing. How many, how many different flavors? We have three so far. So there's elderberry echinacea, lavender lemongrass, and then hibiscus roselle with ginger. And then our new flavor is spring blossoms, and it's going to have some cute spring flowers like dandelion and violet and magnolia. And then it'll also have a few other ingredients and then orange rind in it too, to make it kind of, you know, springy. But it's a partnership with Old Bakery Beer Company. And we kind of conceptualized it together and created some flavor ideas. And so we grow the herbs and then either brew it fresh or dried with fresh herbs or dried herbs. And then can it there and 
It's in a lot of locations, Cleveland Heath and Sacred Grounds and the v- Vandy, I think it the is. The Vandy, yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. The new bar. Yeah. And then Fair Shares has it as well. City Greens, Local Harvest, several other places around town. But That's really exciting. Thank you. Yeah, congratulations on that. Thank you so new much. addition to your repertoire. <laughs> It's a lot of facets of things. I'm trying to make sure we get to talk about everything. So this land, you said you've been here in the household for... I believe it's five, five five or six years. And it was probably, I guess it was residential before, so you don't really have to worry so much about what chemicals and things might have been around here before. So that's kind of nice. They might have sprayed some Roundup in the lawn, but it's been so many years. We've amended the soil. It was a pretty pristine lawn when we moved in and virtually no weeds. So we've we've been scattering those dandelion seeds to (laughs) increase the biodiversity, (laughs) making all the wishes. And then um, it was a goat farm prior to that. So it was rented out for over a decade, I think. And then Probably within the last 20 years, it was a goat farm. That's really, I don't know much about it, honestly. Okay, yeah. Well, I'm sure the goats contributed a good amount of some soil uh, care. (laughs) And then we've, since we've moved here, we've been, you know, removing honeysuckle, planting natives, clearing out some areas that need, that are too thick, that need some clearing with invasives like kudzu and there's honeysuckle and multiflora rows that we've been clearing out and then just amending the soil. We add soil organic matter, do a lot of composting and vermicomposting, and then add chip mulch to a lot of new beds. So Smart. You've got a lot of good things going on. (laughs) So you have woodlands as well included in your Yeah, it's actually mostly wooded. So it goes down to a little creek that's not really, you can splash around in it, but it's, it's just a creek down there. And there's a lot of spring ephemerals popping up now and some morels every once in a while, a lot of oysters, oyster mushrooms that grow wild back there. And so it's mostly wooded. And then we have two acres open where we farm on. Okay. It's more of a micro farm. Sure. <laughs> I saw you also keep a hive of bees at least. Yes. Unfortunately, our bees absconded after they got a mite. Some of the, I noticed some mite damage. So they kind of took off and we hope to get more bees this year. Yeah. Well, the, the bees would be lucky to get you because <laughs> you have quite the pollinator friendly abode here. There are so many <laughs> native pollinators that check out all the plants like the mason bees and a lot of the native bumblebees. I've seen a lot of really amazing pollinators. There's monarchs that come through here and swallowtails and hummingbirds and hummingbird moths. Oh, those are wild. Yeah. <laughs> Spectacular. Neat. And and bird species must be quite diverse here as well. Yes, we are right along the Mississippi River. We're up on the bluff a little bit, but we are on the Mississippi Flyway. So we see rivers of birds fly over and a lot of pelicans. We've seen trumpeter swans fly overhead. A lot of eagles, bald eagles and golden eagles. Every day we see great blue herons and egrets. And so it's just so beautiful. And we're very blessed to be along the Mississippi Flyway. Yeah, it's a very diverse area. And I'm sure the significance of the river plays a great vital role to kind of what makes this region special and bringing in the diversity and a certain climate and a water source. And yes. And the beauty of the bluffs. Mm-hmm. 
which we enjoyed when we were driving up to Elsa the other day. Um, we were actually, as a group, we were, I was trying to speak about the confluence, but I really could not actually pretend to know what I was talking about <laughs> all the way. So for our listeners, could you describe what the confluence is and what is, what is confluing out there? <laughs> It's the convergence of three major riverways. So it's the Illinois, the Missouri, and the Mississippi. And they converge at the confluence point. And the Mississippi River is along the Great River Road. And then it, I believe, transitions into the Illinois River at some point. But it, it's just beautiful. It, it's sort of this convergence or confluence of three major riverways that come through this region. And the Mississippi goes all the way up to Minnesota, or I believe further. Yes. Yeah, like the north part of Minnesota, I think, yeah. is the... And then all the way down to the Gulf. So it's a, it's a quite a large river. Yeah. Well, thank you for clearing that up. Right. Because <laughs> I was like, I think it's two. And then we're like, maybe it's three. And I'm like, oh, never mind. Let's ask somebody that knows. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So ginger is a really awesome herb. Do you grow it here? Yes. So last year for our herbarium, we just used dried ginger with our homegrown hibiscus roselle. But this year we actually got an equip grant through NRCS to, to build a high tunnel, which is going right over there, if you can <laughs> imagine. And so we'll grow all of the ginger for the hibiscus roselle variety and then have some hopefully for herbal products and for fresh ginger sales. And then do you grow ginseng at all? So that's um, on the at-risk list through the United Plant Savers. And you're really not supposed to tell people if you do grow ginseng because people will come and dig the roots up. Because, it is, because it's very prized and it takes a long time to grow. Yes, is that correct? Yes. Like years but it's been years? poached and over-harvested throughout the last several decades. And so it is a very at-risk herb, almost endangered. And so we're doing our part to also grow some ginseng. And I encourage everybody to grow the American ginseng just to boost up that population. It is a shade-loving plant. It takes anywhere from three, if you have really good rich soil, it could take three years to form a root, but typically it takes more like seven to nine years to form the actual full plant. But we're doing a lot of work with planting at-risk herbs in the next several years. So um, we planted about 600 Echinacea angustifolia, which are on the at-risk list as well. Some ginseng, all kinds of uh, medicinal herbs that are at risk. So you're kind of like a nursery or a safe, <laughs> safe space for, yeah. <laughs> for plants that need help. And you've secured a few grants that have helped make some things possible for you around here, which is yeah, really um, commendable and thanks. great. The FSA is a farm loan. So that one is, you know, that's our mortgage, but it's very beneficial to have a low interest, long-term loan for property. And then the NRCS does the equip grant. So it's a matching grant. So we pay, you know, we pay half of the high tunnel costs and then they pay half. So it's it's really nice to be able to get some grant funding. But we are a for-profit farm, so it's harder to get uh, grant funding funding unless you're a nonprofit. Have you done a session of your herbal schools yet? Um, I mean, I know you've had various educational and event opportunities over the years, um, but I know you've kind of more heavily formulated on your website, you know, that 
This is one of the offerings that you're doing. Yeah. So I, in 2019, I co-founded the Tend and Flourish School of Botanicals with Alex Quitham, and she's in Cedar Hill. And once they bought their property, we kind of have been chatting throughout the last year that you know, it's, it makes sense for us to run one program together, but all that driving back and forth. So she's running programs at her farm and then also at Cheryl's Herbs. And then I'm running programs here. And then we'll come back together in the fall to do the Tend and Flourish School of Botanicals Herbal Foundations program, which is a really in-depth uh, intro to herbalism. And then here I'm doing In It now. So the session started last month and we're doing homegrown apothecary. So I have about 12 folks that come out monthly, sometimes twice a month to learn about how to grow medicinal herbs, how to harvest them, how to make herbal preparations from them. It's a learning by doing, hands-on. They see everything seed to apothecary. So they grow the herbs, they transplant them, they weed them, they harvest or water harvest process and dry and then make herbal preparations. So it's a full spectrum of how to grow and use medicinal herbs. And then simultaneously, I'm running a foraging program and an internship program. So I have interns that come out and do work trade, um, learning by doing. And then I have a foraging opportunity coming up that has several classes each month that you can choose from or come to them all. And it teaches people how to, it teaches all about ethical wild foraging, how to forage for food and medicine in the forests and the glades and maybe not the glades. That's a, a <laughs> an at-risk area. We'll do some plant walks in glade areas, but not pick anything in the glades. But in the, we're, we're focusing on abundant backyard medicine. So dandelions, violets, plantain, things that you can find in your own backyard. And I'll point out how to use them and how to identify them. And they're, yeah, so. (laughs) Sounds very helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Well, something that I would love to become more well-versed on. In the apothecary nooks that you have been setting up around St. Louis and the Alton area, could you tell us a little bit about the variety of things that you're offering in your stands? Sure. It's mostly uh, botanical teas. So I have about 16 or actually I might have 24 varieties. <laughs> I, <can't, laughs> I lose track of different tea blends. And one of my favorites is Gal Pal. So it's for menstruation and moon time and has a lot of herbs that are good for cramps and bloating, but also carry through throughout menopause and, you know, throughout all spans of, of womanhood. <laughs> and So botanical teas are the primary focus. And then I have body care products like natural soaps and with homegrown herbs in them. They're dried, powdered homegrown herbs in the soaps. And then I have tinctures and salves and calendula cream, books and bandanas. And then Iris, my daughter, has her own line. I've helped her create her own line of herbal products. So she's going to be doing face oils and face serums and perfumes and then lip balms. She helps make the lip balms, but she wants to expand her little product line this year also. So, And then we hope to have uh, River Hills Harvest products as a part of the apothecary. So they're elderberry juice and syrup and honey infusions. Wonderful. It's like a health health stuff all in one, including some beauty boosters, which sounds great. Can't say no to that. Has she started doing the uh, perfume? Yes. Uh, So this past summer at the 
Francis Park Rockwell Beer Garden Market and Tower Grove. She made lavender infused oils and perfumes. And then she has uh, like three different aromas that she uses and she infuses them with crystals. So it's super cute. It's roll on perfume. And then she's working on developing more. So (laughs) she's only 11. Yeah, I was going to say, and folks, she is 11 years old. (laughs) Get busy out there. (laughs) She also uh, used to do cooking videos, so she had her own little cooking show. She called it her cooking show. Welcome to my cooking show. (laughs) And I would just post the videos on YouTube and Facebook, but she is brilliant in the kitchen. She can make, you know, so many things from scratch. She can make bread from scratch. She can bake. She can make compound butter and... (laughs) bechamel sauce and pasta from scratch. I mean, she is insane. She just has the instincts that, and I've worked with her to develop this craft throughout the years, but she just is a natural in everything that she does. She's just amazing. And my son is amazing too. He's a talented artist. He is carpenter and just amazing, very creative and sweet. He did several murals up at the flood wall downtown. I saw that, yeah. yeah. Super, super cool kids. I love them. (laughs) Yeah, what a gift. And I'm sure it adds to their, well, just the diversity and beauty that you get to grow up and surround yourself in only helps to kind of help grow and inspire, yeah, what you do and their their (laughs) outlets. So well done. That reminds me, I just said grow and inspire. You have written, published a couple books. Is that right? Yes. (laughs) Tell us about those. The first one was, it's kind of like a gardening manifesto for anyone that is searching for something in life and needs some inspiration. The book is titled Grow, Create, Inspire. And it just kind of shares my journey of how growing food and medicine and herbal remedies just kind of opened my eyes and my heart to life's precious, amazing, miraculous little moments. And yeah, it has how to garden in it. It's kind of a how-to book, but it also has recipes of how to make herbal products and how to live a more holistic lifestyle while thinking about earth consciousness and, you know, doing our part to protect the earth. And then I have one that's has a lot of gardening how-tos. It's called Your Edible Yard. So it's a kind of a framework for people who live in the Midwest and want to create their own cultivated ecologies and provide food and habitat for wildlife and biodiversity in their garden. And uh, so it gives, it's kind of about edible landscaping, but really it's, I wrote it with the thought of transforming your yard into an edible oasis and being more self-sufficient. And yeah, (laughs) sorry. (laughs) that's. I mean, I was curious to know. (laughs) I had heard about the Grow, Create, Inspire, but I wasn't sure about the, the edible yard. I mean, that sounds like a great idea. Use your space wisely, right? <laughs> I think as a, as a child, there's nothing more interesting than something you can eat from your own yard. Yeah, it definitely creates memorable yeah. experiences for kiddos and yeah, vast amounts of learning at your fingertips. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for, for sharing. Thank you. Appreciate you. Yeah, we appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. And we hope to see more things from, from your farm and you know, excited about all your projects. Thank you so yeah, much. A lot of projects. It was really <laughs> wonderful to hear about all of them. I'm like, how are we going to like, I'm going to forget something, but how can you be contacted and where can they find you? Sure. We are on social media at Flourish Farmstead and Instagram at Flourish underscore Farmstead. 
and our website is flourishfarmstead.com. And then we also have an online store that's shop.growcreateinspire.com. Thank you so much. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you again to Crystal of Flourish Homestead for having us out to her home. It was a lovely interview. We just wanted to remind you that you can find her products at several locations around Missouri and Illinois, including Apothecary Stands at Old Bakery, Brewery, City Greens Market in St. Louis, as well as Max Local Eats in St. Louis. We also want to send a friendly reminder that to the Tower Grove Farmers Market Fan Club that She and her husband will be set up in a new location uh, closer to the pavilion this year, sharing their herbarium concoctions and other mocktails available for you. Be sure to visit her website at flourishfarmstead.com and her social is at growcreateinspire. This is Tangled Taproot, a production of Book and Hummus. I'm your co-host, Jackson. I'm Kristen. And I'm John Cowan. And if you like what you heard, please like share, and review us. Again, thank you so much for listening. Send us your thoughts to tangletaproot at milkandhummus.com. We plan to answer questions and share feedback. Until next time. All right, cheers. Farewell. Salud.